first and foremost, there's seven Tremors movies, whereas uh-huh. there's one Hubie Halloween. Uh, and the original Tremors, which is an actual good movie. So there's a, first and foremost, there's a one good movie that we can cull from. I mean, do you, do you think people have seen all seven Tremors movies? I have seen all seven Tremors movies. I try not to laugh because I, I take this very seriously. But I did. I saw all, tre- all seven Tremors movies. I'm prepared specifically to talk in arcs. I can talk circles around this movie because there's something to talk about. These are sandworms. Is that the, the no, 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 no. You're in Beetlejuice land. No. Well, okay. They are sandworms, but they're more complicated than sandworms because we don't really know a lot about the sandworm genealogy. There's an evolution of these things and they become different animals than sandworms. I don't want to give too much away. I think you should watch all seven films. So they are sandworms is what you're saying. There's a sandworm form, yes, but there are three different forms. So over seven movies, there's only been three different forms. Yeah, man. I mean, like, I'm sorry that it doesn't meet up to the standard of Hubie Halloween where there are zero forms of anything. Well, I mean, if you got seven Hubie Halloween movies, it'd be one thing. But like the Aliens movies, you know, each one of those had a different xenomorph. They had their own unique special ones. You talk about evolution. Each of those films had a different version of the creature. It was exciting to see. If you're saying they did seven of these things. Comparing Hubie Halloween to Aliens, if this was an Aliens podcast, it would be a lot different and we would probably be talking about like real films. I mean, if this were a a Tremors podcast, then I think we could go in that direction and talk about that. But this is Pumpkins, a Hubie Halloween podcast, the only unofficial weekly podcast about the 2020 Adam Sandler movie, Hubie Halloween. That's right. Every week, Pumpkins is your in-depth guide to Hubie Dubois, Sergeant Steve Downey, and all the Halloween-loving residents of Salem, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Gary Suarez. I'm a freelance journalist and culture critic, and I write the hip-hop newsletter Cabbages, which you can read for free at cabbages.substack.com. We have a great guest joining us a little later in the show, rapper Fat Tony. Right now, I'm joined by my co-host, music industry insider, Jeffrey Laughlin. This is supremely frustrating. I gave you gold. We're going to do Hubie for a billion weeks. This is the point. We're going to talk about the movie that people have signed up to listen to us talk about. Have you seen Tremors? No. Why would I have seen Tremors? Because it's magnificent. It is an actually good movie. Now, if you had said to me, why would I have seen the next six Tremors movies? I would have been like, that's a great point. Why have I seen them? I don't know, man. Adam Sandler has a canon of films. You want to talk about recycling ideas. Is a clown coming out of that canon? You want to talk about these seven films that are basically probably the same film each time. They got three ideas of Sandworm. That's all they could come up with. Okay, first they of all, keep the, getting Michael the Sandworms Gross. birth a different monster and then that monster evolves. Okay? Fine. Aliens I, I, did that too. Probably yeah, but did, did aliens have one extent. that was called Ass Blasters? I don't think it did. I don't think it did. Now, I haven't seen every Aliens movie. The point I'm making here is that there have been dozens of Adam Sandler movies where he's played wacky characters. He brings some of the same actors in for many of these films, some of the same creative minds in terms of directors and writers, and he comes up with these amazing, iconic comedy classics. And that's where Hubie Halloween falls into. There's a tradition. There is a tradition of films with which this falls under. These are iconoclastic films. When we're we're discussing the breadth 
of of knowledges of film we're like well we have to include the adam sandler canon that's what we're doing we're pulling out the adam sandler canon and shooting a clown well i'm trying to come well i'm trying to compare apples to apples here you're talking about a series of films i'm talking about a series of films that culminates in hubie halloween you agreed to do this and you've done one episode and you're already complaining about it and trying to talk about something else. If you want to do a Tremors podcast, that sounds really interesting, I guess. A great topic for some other podcast, perhaps a podcast about movies nobody's seen or wants to talk about. You know, I think one thing we didn't talk about on episode one that would be worthwhile to talk about here is this amazing scene that happens fairly early in the film where Tim Meadows and Adam Sandler come together and get this fantastic opportunity to riff off of one another in the style of SNL, in the style of improvisation. When, when you say riff, when you say riff, I, I, you know, I imagine say people like back and forthing on instruments or like having a dialogue. A riff is something when you're like creating. To me, riffing isn't making weird mouth noises back and forth. Well, now hold on, hold on. This is classic yes and. Anybody who knows their uh, their UCB, their groundlings, their improv comedy knows the importance of yes and. So yeah, Tim improv Met- like if you were say taking a class and you were learning how to do it, I would totally excuse this, but filming it and putting it out as part of a two hour movie no, there's there's a master. No, there's a mastery to what's going on here. These are seasoned comics who've done hours and hours of television together. Fantastic work, and I think that this particular scene where Tim approaches Adam, mm-hmm. Mr. Hennessy approaches Hubie about the sounds coming out of Walter Lambert's house. Walter Lambert being Steve Buscemi's character, who may or may not be a werewolf. Yeah, I don't know if we ever found that out. We did find that out. If you, if you just watch this movie and pay half I watched attention. it one and a half times. I can't watch it anymore. So he approaches him and he says he's hearing these strange noises out of Walter Lambert's house. And then Adam Sandler, recognizing the opportunity for yes and improvisation, makes a series of mouth noises to try to recreate what sounds might have been coming out of that house. It's an incredible back and forth that harkens back to incredible. the great comedy, the great comedy of Saturday Night Live in the 1990s. And I think it's an underrated moment it's in this drunk film. Laurel and Hardy. Listen, it, if this is what passes as good comedy, then permission to every time I'm bored listening to shit about this terrible film, I'm just going to start making noises. I thought you already were doing that. <laughs> Real mature, real mature. It's just hilarious that people are laughing. I see uh, visions of doubled over fans. All that being said, I do have a bit of a surprise for you this week. Uh, She's a film critic who writes regularly for the New York Times, Mm -hmm. The Nation, and Pitchfork Magazine. Here Mm -hmm. today to offer her informed take on Hubie Halloween. Please welcome to the show, Kristen Yunsu Kim. Hello. Hello. Can we start with the fact that you brought a, a, a New York Times published film critic in here to make me <laughs> feel like I should be watching Adam Sandler films more seriously? I mean, we certainly could talk about it. Um, I uh, I thought this would just be a good opportunity 
to allow uh, a credentialed expert uh, in to speak on these things as opposed to you, somebody who's watched all seven Tremors movies. Oh, it wasn't my choice per se, but that's another that's another argument for another time. Are there really that many? There's seven. There's seven. Wow. I've only seen the first. It's it's excellent. It's an excellent film. The rest (laughs) of them are not excellent. (laughs) (laughs) They are not excellent. This is what I wanted the podcast to be about. I know he's going to he's going to stop me and get me back on the Hubie train. But just so Mm. everyone knows, I was in favor of trimmers. (laughs) So are you like some sort of masochist? Why are you doing this? Watching the Tremors movie? Oh, we're doing it. Okay, great. Oh, no, I mean, Hubie. Um, Why are you talking Hubie if you hate it? I owe Gary a massive favor. Uh-huh. Uh, when I uh, I played a certain sickness card and made him go see Holmes and Watson with me in the theater. And I've been, you know, I've been scot-free ever since. There's never been payback. And then this. Yeah. He called the favor back. And here we are. <laughs> Years later. And it's not only do I have to like watch the film, I have to like drag out this this world where people parade in front of me and say, you're an idiot for not loving this film. <laughs> and it's really, really, a, it's a lot of pain. <laughs> but I, I do deserve it somewhat. I mean, Holmes and Watson was a real piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, Kristen, this is the sort of uh, conspiratorial crackpot mindset that I'm dealing with week after week here. It's just he has these, you know, fanciful ideas in his head that this is somehow payback as opposed to two friends just trying to do a fun podcast together. And you love Hubie so much that you've dedicated an entire podcast to it. He named himself I'm Hubie on Twitter. I I know. I don't even have Twitter and I know this. (laughs) In fairness, when I came up with the idea for this podcast, I had not watched the movie yet. Uh-huh. And um, I kind of took a, a leap of faith. Cool. So I think we've heard enough from uh, Jeff, <laughs> even for myself at this point. Fair. As, fair. as our guest, I think I'd love to get your informed take, your perspective uh-huh. on Hubie Halloween. Yeah. So Confession, I watched it again last night for the third time. Um, third time. Yes. Uh, instead of watching election results. And, you know, I think I made a really smart choice here. I don't know. I love this movie. I think it's like the like wholesome cinematic bomb that like I just needed at this point in time. Hmm. Um, <laughs> my friend jokingly said that this movie seems to exist in a world where Bernie won. Um, <laughs> ah. <laughs> and I came to love Adam Sandler somewhat more recently, even though I've seen a lot of his movies as a kid or a teen and that's because my ex-boyfriend is obsessed with adam sandler um hi graham oh. if you're listening hi, um, hi graham <laughs> hi graham and uh and then you know we like in my like friend group adam sandler is a pretty important figure i would say if you compare any movie to election results <laughs> i feel like yeah. the, the movie's gonna win absolutely (laughs) what can we base this on something like does it best many other things other than election results i i mean the here's the thing i watched this like i've already seen this before so i went into it knowing it would Mm. be the right option versus like 
my brain being skewed because it's something better than election results, right? You know, I think if we're being honest here, and, and I appreciate your your candor so far, uh, <laughs> I too watched Chibi Halloween last night. You did. Uh, I did. I decided to delay watching election results for as long as I could. I had a much better time watching this film than I did immediately after when I turned on CNN. <laughs> Has that sent you back to some of the older films, the kind of quote unquote comedy classics of his, the character driven films like your Billy Madison's or Happy Gilmore's, things like that? Right. Well, I should clarify that I, I have seen those before. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like, now I have like a newfound appreciation for it. Like, um, like two years ago or so, I, <laughs> I saw Jack and Jill on 35 millimeter, which was kind of a joke that I've had huh. uh, with friends uh, just to see it in this very like, <laughs> in that particular format. And which one was your favorite, Jack or Jill? Oh my God. I mean, Al Pacino, maybe. Al Pacino. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the Dunkin' Donuts commercial. Dunkachino. Oh my God. <laughs> so good. And I was like, you know what? This is actually like so fucking funny. And then, you know, I've been kind of meaning to do rewatches of things. I've like long disliked the wedding singer, but I also haven't seen it in like, you know, 15 years or so. It was actually um, one of my favorite ones. It, it, like a lot of people cited as one of their favorites i'm like i feel like i should like revisit this and then of course now sandler um is getting like you know a little bit more acclaim for dramatic roles like uncut gems um but dare i say i like hubie more Hmm. I think I do. I think I do. We had a guest on uh, in the last show, uh, remember mm -hmm. Michael Christmas, who kind of said that part of why he enjoyed Hubie Halloween after seeing Uncut Gems was the reassurance that Adam Sandler was still alive. And, yes. <laughs> and he said it in a, in a way that was sort of like, yes, of course he knew that he was actually alive, but it was just <laughs> this sort of validation of, of that, of seeing him back doing a, a comedic role not we, we talked a lot about the trauma of watching uncut gems and the anxiety mm -hmm. that goes into that it's not a pleasant movie to watch in that sense you talked about hubie halloween being a bomb and, yeah and i think comparatively it's like there's the difference between a warm bath and a cold shower <laughs> yeah yeah totally and you know i can appreciate the cold shower but the warm bath is really, I don't know, it was just perfect timing. And just, I laughed a lot. And like, at the end of the day, that's like, what I want. And, and since this podcast is very much about, you know, the rewatch value of Hubie Halloween, I'm yes. wondering, on your third viewing, is there any particular moment or moments or aspect of the film that you appreciated more or discovered? Oh, God, I think I laughed even harder at the thermos jokes this time around, <laughs> just because I was like, even harder, <laughs> even harder. Okay, all right. Um, just, just getting a bridge here. We're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like it. Just became even more ridiculous. Like just the entire concept. I'm like, why? Like what? Why the thermos? Like, um, <laughs> the, the, there's, there's the grappling hook. 
there's the telescopic lens exactly just so many things yeah. it also holds soup it yes he loves soup soup saves the day it does but i also found what i also found really interesting about the thermos you know i go back and forth on the thermos because that was some kind of where you start to feel like you're losing touch with with reality a bit in this sort of <laughs> yes. inspector gadgety sort of approach is yeah. the thermos he says he made it in scouts yeah and it's just I, like was he an idiot savant as a child and had this knack for building things then and <laughs> so many questions <laughs> and why did that not, not translate into adulthood where the only job he seems to be qualified for <laughs> is working at the deli counter uh-huh and do you think that this story is missing some sort of middle element that explains mm. how you go from yeah where he could make something that brilliant as a child <laughs> to yeah. being a 50 something year old man he's 50 something in this film <laughs> yeah who gets scared by <laughs> silly halloween decorations right right um well no i don't think it's missing anything because it's a flawless film i'm just gonna jump right in real quick flawless we are we are saying that hubie halloween is without flaw okay continue um you know but you know it really makes you consider how deeply underappreciated he is in this community and to quote june squibb Hubie's smart, has nice hair, and sex hope. So I think there's a lot of potential for a sequel. Not that I'm asking for one, but like, mm -hmm. you know, it's just a very optimistic film. And he gets the girl, the love of his life. Uh, I mean, uh, I was quoted on the last podcast about this, uh, and I was sternly warned off air that uh, I don't need to be so serious about this. Uh, but I, I was wildly disturbed by Julie Bowen's character, wildly disturbed at her obsession with Cubie Halloween. Because you don't think she would actually be into him or? I mean, you know, it's kind of tough to believe that we're talking about real life with Cubie. But yeah, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, well, I think. Nor do I know, think she would have been attracted to Kevin James's <laughs> thing, whatever was going on with him. But I guess that's just a different it's it's a it's a movie, so I should just let this go. Yeah, it does ask for you know a lot of uh, suspension of disbelief here, but you know, she's just she's horny for Hubie, and sometimes you can't explain those things. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know I should also shout out June Squibb, who is so good in this. Um, her shirts gets me every every time. Yeah, the uh, boner donor. Boner donor. That's uh, I'm trying to purchase a boner donor shirt. Yeah, I think, I, I think I, that it would have it would actually just be better if you took a sharpie and wrote boner donor on <laughs> a t-shirt. I think you. Well, I want I want the shirt she wore. Yeah, and it, it only cost fifty cents. I mean, she's thrilled about I the know. situation. Old a people, queen. A thrifty queen. Old <laughs> yeah. ladies love a bargain. We know this. We know this. It's we a joy. It's a joy. And to see it coming from an Academy Award nominated actress is just, <laughs> is just next level. You know, it's like it really Nebraska. And of course we have to you know, give a shout to about Schmidt. 
but yeah, I think her role in this is something that, you know, when we do get to, uh, to Oscar time, I think they'll at least have to pay some attention. I, I don't know if there's going to be a, a four-year <laughs> consideration campaign, that. but I mean, like, I mean, she's due. She didn't get it for Nebraska. She's due. She's due. And you know, is the Oscar still, is the Oscar still a measurement of acting ability at all? Um, I mean, like, because if yes, so, no, no, she does not deserve it for this film. <laughs> but if if not, if it's just a sham as though I expect it is, then yeah, man, I'm absolutely down with her getting one. <laughs> wow. Well, I don't recall you being a member of the Academy, uh, Jeff. I, I don't I remember mean, you being a everybody member of anything. Everybody makes mistakes. Even the, Maca- even the Academy makes mistakes. Yes, even the Academy makes mistakes. Wow. They, wow. they, so, they made a lot of mistakes, but they could fix their wrong by giving June Squibb her Oscar for this. I think this is her year. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully by the end of this podcast, Jeff will realize that he made a boner by hating on it. There you go. (laughs) He donates mistakes. He donates (sighs) mistakes indeed. There you have it. Unrehearsed testimony from important celebrities. She's one of my favorites. I loved her in the thing I saw her in. See, you, this is torturous for your boy. Your boy, of course. Being how, how so? I, well, you're like parading these people and, and they're basically berating me into, into loving something I hate. And I don't want to do it. I mean, I don't want to love something I hate. I want to hate things that I hate. But I mean, we're, we're, we're offering perspective. We're giving other people opportunities to kind of weigh in. And- what perspective? What, what is the perspective? Is that like Hubie Halloween is entertaining to everyone but me? I don't know, man. I, I feel like I'm going to, I feel like I'm bailing on this. No, I mean, we're only in episode two. You can't bail on this now. I'll, I'll get a, like a text from a couple of friends and they'll be like, why aren't you doing the podcast anymore? I'll be like, oh, you know, because Hubie Halloween sucks. I think there's some middle ground here. I think we can find a way to massage this a bit. I, I don't want to give I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up on us. I think we have a great dynamic. Um, it's hard mm-hmm. to find that it's a natural thing we have and that's rare in this world. So oh, that's nice. So. You're just buttering me up to make me talk about Hubie. No, you know what? You know what? Here's here's the thing. We've got a guest coming Mm -hmm. up, Fat Tony. Yeah. And you just made a Simpsons reference. You thought you were just going to slip it past me? I mean. That you made a Simpsons reference, that you made a Brad Goodman reference? I know who that is. I know that quote. Why don't we talk to Fat Tony about the Simpsons? Just give me 20 to 30 minutes of, of actually enjoying myself and see if it works. I mean, we were going to talk about Hubie Halloween because this is a Hubie Halloween podcast. But I mean, I'm a Simpsons fan. You're a Simpsons fan. Fat Tony mm. is named after a Simpsons character. It it mm-hmm. kind of makes mm-hmm. sense. I'm well. First and foremost, that's insane that you actually agree with me. But yes, I'm with yeah. us. I think we should. Yeah, do let's it. do it. We're doing it. Wow. Okay, I'm back in. We did it. We've got you back. I'm very excited.
I'm so excited to introduce our guest, Fat Tony. He's a rapper and a Houston native. His latest album is called Exotica, available from Car Park Records and wherever music is streamed or sold. Please welcome Fat Tony to the show. How are you doing today? Doing great, man. Thank you for the very beautiful, highly respectable intro. Well, I'm you know trying to make a highly respectable show. Uh, you know we're uh, we're you? trying our best. Yes, we're trying our, our our darndest to do something fun, and we're thrilled to have you on the show. Your new album uh, has this distinct storytelling approach to it. All the tracks are essentially pieces of short fiction, They're wrapped in, and set to music. Yeah. And when I think about that, I think you know who else is really good when it comes to short fiction. The geniuses over at The Simpsons. That's right. So I thought this would be a perfect fit uh, for conversation. Now, when I first got into your music, you know, I'm thinking back in probably 2013, I was reading interviews and things. All these interviewers that seemed like they couldn't help themselves but to ask, like, the kind of rote question about where'd your name come from? And kind of like, is that a Simpsons reference? And was it weird to kind of be asked that question constantly? It was not weird because I felt like I would get that and then I'd get a question about like, but you're not fat, but did you used to be fat? That's why my first video, first single track, whatever, is called Nigga You Ain't Fat from Rabbit Gab because that was something I got asked so much. I was like, I should just make a song about this. If I know it's going to be one of the first questions people have, I might as well make some art with it. You know what I mean? But the Simpsons thing, it was heavy then and it just died out. Like I thought that I'd be asked that forevermore, but it was just like the first two or three years I was putting out records they'd ask and no one cared anymore. It's like that was no longer the like starting point for introducing me. No one has to ask you that question anymore because one, you were asked it enough times, but two, because you've done so much over the past seven, eight, nine years they associate you with all these things that you've done now that as opposed to name origin stuff. I think the rap name thing is always tough when you're lesser known because people do have just those preconceived notions and other things that they've heard of before. That's another thing I, I used to get. Like when I was really, really new, people, I would introduce myself to people and they'd always be like, oh, I've heard of that before. They wouldn't say it's like, oh, I heard that from like The Simpsons mm. or whatever, but they would always allude to it as if they've heard of a rapper named Fat Tony before. And I know there's a rapper named Fat Tone from Kansas, which I had no idea about until way, way later. Mm-hmm. Man, it's interesting because when I think back to when I was trying to come up with a name, I fucking struggled so much I could not get it right. In being from Houston, you obviously have this like amazing hip hop tradition and these kind of classic names, you know, uh, of, of artists, you know, and I feel like that must add to the pressure to, to come up with something. What strikes me is that at the end of the day, you chose a name that was for, you know, lack of a better term, uh, a joke name. Well, I think it has way less to do with the character than it has to do with the name itself. Hmm especially where I'm from, where we have artists like Fat Pat, Big Mo, Big Pokey. Those type of monikers were associated with people who are highly respectable where I came from. So when I see the name Fat Tony, it's reminding me of that. It's also used in my birth name. And my name's Anthony. My dad is named Anthony, but they call him Tony. So like the Tony in my household growing up, 
is like the main dude. So when I'm, I don't know, I'm like 11 or 12 when I start using his name, when I'm looking at that and all those things are speaking to me, it feels way more personal than it feels like a Simpsons character. Have you been able to kind of go back to the show and rewatch it as an adult? Do you find that you get stuff out of it now that you didn't get then? Yeah, honestly, it is a fucking trip because you're totally right. When I was a kid, the Simpsons were, were everywhere. 90s, early 2000s, Simpsons fucking mania. When I rewatch The Simpsons now, first of all, there's a heavy sense of nostalgia. I'm remembering my parents coming home from work. I'm remembering what my living room was like. Like it takes me back to that place almost immediately because not just was this show popular, I would say if I was watching television back then, more often than not, I was probably watching The Simpsons because they play the reruns every single day, right when you get home from school, mm. and there's new episodes happening too on the weekends. So there's lots of incentive as a kid growing up in my time to watch The Simpsons, right? Right. So when I'm watching it now, all that nostalgia is hitting me, the lines are coming back, some of the plot is coming back, and then I'm picking up on all these really juvenile, silly things like straight up fart jokes and just dumb shit that I loved when I was a kid. But now I'm starting to see why it also had the rep for being a smart show. You know what I mean? A smart, clever, witty, interesting, funny show. Not, not just slapstick, not just catchphrases. There are layers to it and there's subplots and there's a world to really get into. And I, and I think that's something that I really carried with me on a subconscious level, just as a person that appreciates TV, film, stories, songs. So kind of the, kind of the story structure of The Simpsons and the universe building of it, that is something that, that I think has stuck with me as an artist too. When you, when you go back now, do you watch in order or do you like seek out specific episodes from from when you were when you were thinking about back then? Well, I always look for the episodes that I remember, like if there's a yeah. title that that I recall or if there's like a show that like Conan worked on, which I knew about. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I go for those first, but then I just kind of let it play on like shuffle. Like right now before this call, I would just. I downloaded seasons four, five, and eight. Okay. Because those had the, ep those had the episodes that I remembered the most titles from. Threw them mm. in my VLC, hit shuffle on them, and every one of them were just hidden. Like it wasn't the kind of thing. You know, Simpsons, it's not like nonstop laugh riot, but there's so much subtle shit going on that mm -hmm. it's a joy just to simply watch it. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Totally agree. And I four, five, and eight. If you had to like gun to my head, what are your favorite three? That's 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 probably gonna be it. Uh, three's up there too. Three's pretty incredible. But I need to get on that. I mean, I love I love season eight. I f I feel like uh, Jeff and I in conversations offline have absolutely talked about some of the best writing and some of the best storylines. And for me, as somebody who watches The Simpsons pretty much every day, I watch it because I don't know shit every day, every day. And when I do inevitably I'm drawn 
to season eight because you have some of my favorite episodes. That's where you get uh, You Only Move Twice. It's also the same season where you get a Millhouse Divided, where Millhouse's mm. parents uh, are finally given some depth as yes. not just people who look like adult versions of Millhouse and maybe cousins. Yeah, that divorce was was crazy. I mean, that like, was if you go back and you watch it, like those are real arguments. As a, as a person who came from like a, a arguing family and a divorce family, it was a real divorce. <laughs> it was really painful to watch those two argue. I watched that episode last night and I had the same exact thoughts. Like that was one of the moments where it hit me why adults like this show too, because the Mm -hmm. way that they portrayed that was the void of silliness. They were fucking acting. (laughs) The actors are so incredible on that show. Yeah. Amazing. It's also worth thinking when you think about that episode, it's just like you're talking to people, they've been doing this for a while, but you've got adults at this point. You've got people who've been through divorce who are writing this episode. You know, I think I appreciate that episode more as someone who's been divorced um, to be able to say, wow, you know, some of the things where they're kind of undercutting each other, you know, with, with Luann and, and Kirk, it's just, it, it's, just, it gives me kind of flashbacks in some places. To be fair, they they really jobed him, man. Like they <laughs> they took everything. Oh, yeah. Th- that was one of the most brutal firing scenes I've ever seen in a TV show. Anyway, <laughs> I don't Just I don't recall he was saying single. good luck. <laughs> they were like, "Yo, you don't frankly fit we don't want company know. image no more, man. You out of here." Right. I don't recall saying good luck. Is maybe I mean what? A wow. Line. But you're actually more inclined to root against him because he's such a doomed figure he's a he's a know-it-all he's a you know what i mean like he's a (laughs) jerk yeah where he's you know he doesn't his wife doesn't ever do anything that pleases him his kid's a nerd yeah and he's just sort of cruising through life and then all of a sudden his wife's like well this sucks and then everybody just piles on like yeah you do kind of suck dude it was clear (laughs) that he had been that way for a while Mm. and she had been putting up with a lot of shit that was very apparent, not just from her, but from everybody else in the room. They they were like, oh, are they going to take it there this time? You know what I mean? How bad is their argument going to be this time? Oh, there they go again. Do y'all know much about the like creative team behind The Simpsons? Like, Do y'all know a lot about the writers and the voice actors? I'm, I'm like pretty clueless on what their whole vibe was. To be like blunt about it, a lot of it was just Harvard nerdery. Mm. Uh, so there's this really really wonderful uh interview that i'm basing most of my knowledge on um where all the writers would were from harvard most of them anyway and they would come back and have the students that ran the harvard lampoon would make a meal for all the writers and then like the person who made the best meal would get interviews or some some weird system like that so Conan O'Brien made a meal for all the writers of The Simpsons and he'd served them like a 17 course meal and every single course was a potato, a different style of potato. <laughs> so so this is happening while The Simpsons is out and it's popular, right? It's super popular and it's like the third, it's like second season they come in and they're like the kings of Harvard and they're like demanding that the staff make them a meal That's and he so makes hilarious. them like 17 different kinds of potatoes. And they were like furious and they demanded to meet this dude. And then immediately he won them over, which makes perfect sense because he's the best. 
when I first heard Conan was attached to The Simpsons, which was years after he worked on it when he was doing his own show, it made me appreciate The Simpsons more because as a kid, I also Definitely. thought Conan was cool yeah. and smart and funny, and that made me be like, oh, shit, The Simpsons got like some real motherfuckers writing this shit. It was, it was like when you learn later, like all your favorite actors and stuff. When, when I was younger, I'd learned so much about the SNL universe, you know? Mm. Um, and it was very much, the Simpsons were very much that for me, where I would, I really got into a lot of those writers, John Schwartzwelder and stuff, where I like, uh, Schwartzwelder, I think I said it wrong, uh, where he wrote like a couple of self-published novels that were fantastic. Oh, shit. And yeah, they're really, really funny and really, really ridiculous. They're almost I just like, learned two of the Simpsons guys worked on the critic. Oh yeah, yeah. I love too. Yeah, the the critic is. Oh, we, is, I've been falling asleep to the critic since uh, since real serious election season started up, and like oh, wow. every night I'm like, enough with the like telling me why everything sucks. I'm gonna watch the critic until I fall asleep. I gotta rewatch uh, that too, man. It's incredible. It's all. It, Somebody put it up on YouTube. It's all the, there. It's it's also I think it's on Crackle. I think too. I have the DVDs, mm-hmm. so I I just pull it in DVDs because that's me. But I DVD guy DVD <laughs> with that. I you know I don't own a lot of DVDs anymore, but I do own that one. Yeah, I'm never getting rid no. of that one. But what's crazy to me is you know again when you go back as an adult and watch these things, there's the crossover episode of The Simpsons with the critic, and apparently Matt yes. Groening was so disgusted with this was so because Matt Groening had nothing to do with with the critic but was so disgusted yeah. and offended and outraged by it that he had his name removed from the episode so when you watch the opening credits his name is removed from there it was a shame that 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 Matt was so against it but it's like I can think of some of my favorite episodes were John Lovett's episodes Llewellyn Sinclair directing the musical of A Streetcar Named Desire I was watching that one right before we started doing this shit. <laughs> you know what, though? I was reading about that recently, too. And I agree with Matt. Like, that also made me respect him more. That he um put so much care into making the Simpsons universe this thing that is set and is defined and has structure and how putting the critic in it felt more like you're advertising. Like I can totally see that line of thinking from him, and I think he was in the right. I think all the great elements of that episode didn't require the critic. I mean, yeah, at that point they were humming on such a such a level that, like, I mean, every single episode's a banger at that point. So you're probably right that a lot of those jokes would have just ended up in other episodes and been great. They worked with ama- some amazing comedic actors. Obviously, Phil Hartman. Uh, Bill Hartman, man, R.I.P. Right, God. I mean, I think Troy McClure to me is probably one of the greatest characters that show ever ever presented us with. Fat Tony, yeah, is is Fat Tony a top five all time character for you? Give me some all time characters you love. Definitely, Fat Tony is the shit. Obviously, we love Bart because I was a boy and I grew up in the nineties. Mm. Obviously, obviously. We fuck with Bleeding Gums Murphy. Of course. We have to. I actually used a screen Sacks cap on the him beach. for a uh, music video treatment recently. That is one of the all-time greats. <laughs> Love him. And, I, and I'm and i going to put 
And I'm going to put Maggie on this list because Ma there's something about Maggie that feels like angelic. When like she comes on the screen, it feels like we're diving into the spiritual element of The Simpsons because she's so quiet and has all this mystery and she shot Mr. Burns. Spoiler mm -hmm. alert. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't caught that 1990s episode, sorry about that, everybody. Mm. We'll edit that out. We'll edit that out. Yeah, we'll edit it out. It's fine. Uh, I, I always have believed in my heart of hearts that uh, Maggie will actually be the true like success story of that family. Mm. That, that she would grow up and be like a very important, awesome person. What's the episode uh, where they show their future selves? Yeah, where Lisa gets married. Is that the one you're talking about? Yes, yes. She marries Hugh. <laughs> yes, which episode is that? Oh, I need to watch that shit. <laughs> I'll have to look it up. I don't remember the title. Shockingly, I don't remember the title of that one off the top yeah, of my that head. Yeah, was, that was um, the first one they went into the future. Maggie, in that episode, has no lines. She's a teenager, and they keep interrupting her anytime she's going to say exactly. something. Exactly. Keeping up the mystery. Fucking Maggie. We only hear her voice once in the entire series, and it's Elizabeth Taylor. Yep. <laughs> That's it. And Elizabeth um, Taylor was on the show twice, which is pretty crazy. She was on as herself as oh, well. Oh, in the uh in the in the Krusty Comeback special. Yeah, yeah and she decides that she's canceled. gonna fire she's gonna fire her agent because she didn't get on the Krusty gets canceled <laughs> TV show. <laughs> when did the Simpsons start getting big stars as guests? The first real instance, I mean, it happened a little bit before, uh, but the first real instance, the one that blew it up, uh, there's a really wonderful article about this, actually, the oral history of, uh, of the baseball episode, softball episode, where they brought in, I think it was like nine or 10, I think it was 10 different baseball stars, gigantic baseball stars. Um, Clemens, Roger Clemens, oh, I'm looking Strawberry, at it now. Ozzie Smith, all these guys. Damn. And the writers threatened to walk out or i'm sorry not the writers but the uh, the actors wow They're like this is this is crazy and you're like ruining the show and this is at the time i mean you're talking season three yeah 91 92 none of these people had anything going for them they were like this was a huge thing that this show had caught on so they thought the writers were ruining the show and they threatened to leave and then huh. once the episode came out it was easily the highest rated episode they'd ever had. Wow. And then the, the actors were like, oh, no, cool. This is great. This will work. <laughs> this is fine. No, no, no big deal. I don't even know what I was mad about. <laughs> Apparently, this episode has uh, saved at least two lives. During a scene where Homer chokes on a donut, a poster behind him is explaining the Heimlich maneuver. And in May 1992, this guy named Chris was able to save his brother's life by performing it and cited seeing it in the episode for the first time ever. Whoa. Wow. And That's And it happened again in 2007. Oh, the same thing? The same thing. Somebody saved their, their friend's life because they remembered this Heimlich from the poster in the Simpsons episode. That is incredible. That's stunning. I had no idea. That's stunning. I think the best thing it ever did for me was give us a chance to have a conversation that wasn't about fucking Hubie Halloween. There he goes again. <laughs> there he goes I think again. That's the thing that really set this motherfucker off. We're like, I feel better as a person 
having talked to people about something I actually like. Well, was Adam Sandler ever on The Simpsons? No. I mean, well, it's possible it was in way later episodes because I did fall off after like 13 or See, 14. See, I watched like well into the 20s. I'm not mm. proud of that, but I did. Wow. And so unless it was after like season, I don't know, 22 or 23, I don't think he's he's ever been on it, which is interesting because, you know, obviously- I feel like we'd have heard about that, that that would be such a crossover. But, it, but it's interesting because the SNL pedigree. I can't uh, believe you watched it into season 20 something. That's fucking crazy. I also I'm not, I'm not I proud. No I'm just happy to have the kind of warm bath of cartoons. You know, I'm a big adult swim guy mm. and I've been a big adult swim guy for the mm. longest time. So that was always great for me to kind of be able to be on a Sunday, you know, watch four hours of, you know, of Adult Swim after watching two hours of Fox animated comedies and just. This show is a god to all that shit. Of course. Real. Very Gateway real. drug. hundred percent. Yo, back in the day, I think I stopped fucking with the uh, Simpsons like right around that time that I was uh, becoming more of a teenager, right? Mm -hmm. Because even though the Simpsons is the simpsons it's also a cartoon and watching it as a kid that's what i kind of associated with like i think all these nuanced things like the adult side of it the smart side of it you know what i mean i think that didn't really register with me as a child and that's something that i'm really digging now so right around the time that the quality started to suffer and i was getting older it was like oh this this is becoming more and more like some slapstick kid cartoon shit i'm done with this but there's also this separate thing that exists where we've just connected with this on that level and it has defined in some way what we think is funny and that's why it has rewatch yeah, value man. We're infatuated with dumb shit. One hundred percent. I mean, like, if you if you look at the the weirdly the family tree of the Simpsons and the way that it like influenced other comedies, you know, there were like highbrow ones that came out, but mostly it was like, you know, Family Guy, Adult Swim, The Critic, stuff that was very self referential and and pretty ridiculous. I definitely feel that way when I'm making music, like. I don't make joke raps or like comedy rap no. or any shit like that. You know what I mean? But definitely when I'm writing something and I say something that's kind of witty or kind of dumb to me and I chuckle to myself, those are usually the songs that I feel like are going to be winners. Like those end up being my best work. You know what I mean? I think Is, that does it feel just, like that's just like it? You're, you're pouring your personality into it as well as your, your serious side. Like you're kind of tipping your hand when you're humorous, right? Yeah, like, I feel like... By the way, like I am a funny dude and I have a good time. It's not all about how great I am. I just feel like that's a better way of getting a point across. Like mm. that's another thing that I think The Simpsons does really well is they have these serious themes and messages, you know, and often little nuggets of wisdom that they want to deliver to the audience but it's coded in humor in a way so it goes down easy. And I find myself trying to do the same thing with like a lot of my songs, like, you know, Gambling Man or Feeling Groovy, mm -hmm. songs that are kind of expressing mm -hmm. something that some might look at as pretty serious. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. for me to 
deliver it with like a bit of wit or slyness, I think just makes it more fun and makes it stick with you more. You know what I mean? It's it like memorable. takes it out yeah. of that lane of like, I am trying to teach you or preach to you. It's more like I'm pulling you aside and I'm just telling your story. Like, like there's something very, very unique about lore and why lore sticks with us, mm. right? And and I think some of the best writing, some of the best storytelling is closer to lore than it is to other things. And that's what I'm always aiming for with my music, especially on my new album. And I think that, that that's something that binds The Simpsons together because for their hot streak, they were telling interesting stories that stuck with you. That's why I put on an episode now and the plot is coming back to me, not just lines, but the plot mm -hmm. points that mm -hmm that I can look at now and be like, wow, I can't believe the story went this way. Whenever we start talking about Simpsons, inevitably you end up getting into how, if there's a topic, the Simpsons has covered it in some way. And so like, when I think about Gambling Man, I'm thinking about like the episode where they build the Monty Burns Casino and Marge becomes a slot mm. junkie and neglects her family in the process. Yep. Like, I think maybe the writer of, of that episode is Bill Oakley. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he did, he wrote for a ton of stuff. Um, and he he was responsible for some of like the better one-liners in the show. Um, and then went on, it just just a fun thing, he went on to write for Adult Swim. He did Mission Hill. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, and Futurama and uh, Portlandia, the Cleveland show. I mean, like all kinds of crazy amounts of stuff that that guy's done, that all those writers have done uh, where not only were they sticking us back then when we were little, but like it's almost guaranteed that you're quoting them later and probably didn't even know it. Did y'all grow up ever wearing those like bootleg Bart shirts or they were everywhere where Bart I grew up, but I wasn't allowed to watch the Simpsons when I was little. My mom and uh, my, my dad didn't care. My they, mom was, uh, was a little too religious for the Simpsons to get over with her. Uh, so I would see these kids in these Simpsons shirts. And for a long time before I finally got into the show, for a long time, I thought the show was about a little black kid. Wow. So because you like were seeing the all black of Bart the bootlegs first before seeing the show, a black Bart with super baggy clothes and a backwards hat being like, you know, fuck you. You know what I mean? Or like family barbecue 1988 or, you know, 1991. That is one 90s thing that I miss just making random cartoon characters hip-hop like yes. putting on a backwards hat you know what yes. i mean oh yeah toucan <laughs> sam's got a doobie coming out of his mouth. that's and awesome all, I, no for me and and i don't know i, I love that. i don't i don't know because again you get into regional stuff and like where things are like for, from where i grew up like in new york is like the looney tunes ones were like a thing yes tasmanian devil i was big in the south too i was okay huge iceberg and when you see it get revived now it's kind of wonderful you know like you see the, the black bart stuff like there are there are you know like soundcloud rappers you know young people who were never around for like peak simpsons greatness who are appropriating that character into that context for the album artwork and the single artwork and i'm like that's fucking awesome that's amazing that yeah, that's endured. i always love it when that happens it's kind of funny to think back how the simpsons were kind of controversial like you were just saying that you're mom wouldn't let you watch it re-watching the show i was trying to think about how there was this sense that the simpsons needed to be censored right and watching it i was like wow i can't believe that there was 
ever anybody that thought this show was vulgar. I mean, com- compared to shit now, it's <laughs> it's so tame. The Simpsons were just like teaching me about weird American presidential facts, <laughs> 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 like making uh, making cogent jokes about Michael Dukakis. You know what I mean? Like, why wouldn't I want to watch this? I was there when Michael Jackson did the uh, black or white video premiere. You remember that shit? Yes, of course. But you, what do you, what do you, what do you mean you were there? I mean, I was, I was alive and I was watching it and I, I knew about it about to happen. Yeah. And I got home and I was ready to watch it. Like the fact that Michael Jackson, biggest pop star in the world, was premiering his new music video in conjunction with. The Simpsons was like a mm-hmm. mega event. It like, was like I was a child. I was such a child that I didn't have, you know, TV shows that I had to watch at a certain time. I would just watch TV whenever I had some free time. But that was a moment when, when I remember being like, oh, shit, they're going to play the Michael Jackson video. I got to be ready for this. That was 100 percent. Speaking event. of controversy, 100 percent an event. <laughs> oh, you talking about the Michael Jackson episode? Yeah. That so, was strange. <laughs> I think that I think it's possible. I'm I may have to look this up or something later, but I think it's possible. I think that there's a long-standing sort of uh, myth about Michael Jackson doing appearances on on things, where he had someone who sounded a lot like him do a lot of his voiceover work. No shit. I've heard this is something I've, I've heard, heard, and that. they asked they asked the Simpsons dudes about it in one of these interviews I've seen. And they were like, uh, I don't know. I know he's like dead and stuff, but I still am kind of scared. <laughs> to wow. like bring up like how was how their much, response? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're like, we're kind of scared to like worry about this sort of I don't know how true any of that is, or maybe they were just being coy, but like uh I that was the first time I'd ever heard such a thing. Dude, he probably didn't even do that shit. <laughs> I'm I I can almost guarantee you that someone else did the voice. <laughs> Of Michael Jackson in the Michael Jackson credited episode, but I don't wow, know if there's any way to prove it. The the rumor, as I understand it, the dialogue is him, but the sung parts is an impersonator. Okay, okay, like, that makes like sense. Like it costs like, more for him to sing than. That's talk. exactly what I was gonna do. Is like if you want me to sing, it it goes from it balloons from some thousands of dollars to a whole lot of thousands of dollars. Damn, son. Yeah. Now that's that is real, awesome. <laughs> Good for him. The talents have been on the show over the years. And, you know, when you go back to those classic, I mean, obviously you get Barry White on the mm-hmm. on the Whacking Day episode. And it's just like. Yeah. He, they got Johnny Carson like right after he quit. Crazy. Like right after mm-hmm. he quit doing the show. And then he came in and did this. Uh, and they were like, you know, really kind of pumped out. And apparently he came in and was having such a good time that he basically just did stand up for the whole crew. <laughs> he was like so like sad without television. That's hilarious. That is awesome. Yeah. Can't get Johnny Carson to shut the fuck up in the office. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to do stand up. That's a pretty good, good problem to have, right? It's the opposite of Michael Jackson. <laughs> Can't get Johnny Carson to fucking leave. Oh. <laughs> uh. Before we let you go, now that you've had some time to uh, go and rewatch a bit, if you were to recommend to somebody who is 
given up on the show, perhaps rightfully, to go back and watch a classic episode, one that you think is a great way to reacclimate to the show as an adult, which episode would you recommend? Man, I'm trying to find a title, but it's the episode where the new girl gets in into town and Bart loses his mind over her. Oh, that episode, I'd recommend that um, one. That one's so good. And it's it's the the woman from Roseanne. Yes, exactly. Darlene from Roseanne. 90s yes. slacker grunge. An incredible episode <laughs> written by written by Conan O'Brien. Yeah. That that's the dude my shirt is chafing me episode. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh man, now my pants <laughs> yes, are chafing Jimbo. me. <laughs> <laughs> That was one of the first ones that I rewatched, and I was like, oh, shit, I love this show. I forgot. <laughs> that's a fantastic episode of television. Oh, Jimbo. Yeah, that's a lot of good stuff in there. And I think what's what's also great about that is um, if you watch that show as a little boy, you, you probably had a crush on a babysitter at some point, someone who was just a couple years too old for you out of your league, but, like, you're just like, no, yeah. Totally. I, totally. So, like, that was deeply relatable to me i say that yes as like hope, a little kid oh man i hope none of my old my former babysitters are listening to this um but i probably had a crush on you when i was a kid it probably did when she rips his heart out and kicks it down the wall into the wastebasket it's oh, just man. a classic television so trope it's perfect so ill oh my god <laughs> That might be the best. That that might be my absolute favorite episode of all time. That's a the beginning of that one. I believe is is Homer finds a whole bunch of stuff in the street from the people moving out, and he like can't handle himself. <laughs> yes. Is like dumping shit in the street. He's like Homer. <laughs> That's really incredible. And he wants like he's just in the house like drinking expired medicine <laughs> straight from the bottle. <laughs> Laura Powers, the episode is called New Kid on the Block. Yeah, Season it, four, yeah. episode eight. Here we go. Y'all Excellent. go watch that. All right. Uh, done. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go do done. it right now. Mm-hmm.